Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Easter According to the Gospel of John, with a message titled, The Dawn of a New Era. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Let me begin on this day by wishing all of you listeners and partners of Back to the Bible Canada a very meaningful and rich celebration of Good Friday. This is the day we have set aside to celebrate the death of our Lord for the sins of all who repent and believe and entrust their lives to Him. This day is set aside to remember the sufferings of our Lord, the rich heritage we've received through Him. Indeed, by His wounds we are healed. But because I've been following the progress of the events of the Passion Week through the Gospel of John, and because this program in many places isn't going to be aired on Sundays, I think it's fitting to carry on today with the resurrection appearances of Jesus. In spite of the fact that it's Good Friday, I'm going to be speaking about the resurrection Easter Sunday. So let's begin by reading our text, which is John 20, 19 to 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. You know, a great many contemporary scholars have attempted, you know, to replace the letters B.C. and A.D. with the letters B.C.E. and C.E. That is, instead of dating our calendars before Christ and Anno Domini in the year of our Lord, you know, it's been suggested we replace those with something more neutral, that is, before the Common Era and then the Common Era. But of course, that won't hide the reality that the common era or the era in which we live, which is commonly accepted by all, well, that's dated to the world-changing events of the coming of Jesus. B.C. is always before Christ, and everything after that is in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say, I think there's no denying it, that with the coming of Jesus and, of course, with his resurrection, the world has changed and it will remain forever changed. Of course, wars and rumors of war are going to continue, as do all the other things that are common to living in a fallen world. But that won't change until Christ's second coming. Nonetheless, the dawning of a new age is indeed begun. So let's chronicle five changes, shall we? Change number one is a new day of worship of the one true God. You may remember the account recorded in John chapter 4. Jesus is on his way through Samaria, and he stops at a well, and there has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. Among all the things they talk about, the woman says, look, you Jews worship God at your temple in Jerusalem, and we worship God at our temple here on Mount Gerizim, which, she asks, is the correct place to worship. And for the sake of brevity, let me zero in on the key issue in Jesus' answer. He says, believe me, woman, the day is coming when the location of worship won't be the issue but the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And with that in mind, notice our passage today. It begins with the words, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. I find that line fascinating. The first day of the week in Jewish reckoning, that's Sunday. And with Sunday, the Sabbath is over, and now a new week has begun. 
Now, here's where I find John's wording fascinating. You know, in the Jewish way of thinking, the evening would already be Monday. See, the new day begins at sundown. But John doesn't present this to us in a Jewish way of reckoning. It's Sunday evening, he says, giving us the impression that he's now thinking from a Gentile perspective. It's Sunday night, as we would say. Now, having noticed that, let's also notice, as we have before, that when John writes his gospel, he's taking for granted that his readers are familiar with what the other three gospel writers have already said. So much has happened on this Sunday. You know, Jesus has already appeared to the women at the empty tomb. And then Peter and John have investigated the empty tomb. And then after that, Jesus met personally with Mary Magdalene. And then, according to Luke, he also met with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And with so much going on on that day, the day of the resurrection, the day that death had lost its power, it's time to call a meeting. Has everyone heard all the accounts? And once they recount them to each other, I mean, what do they make of this? What are they to make of Jesus? And that became the hallmark of the followers of Jesus. They would gather on the first day of every week, and from then on, they gathered to talk about Jesus. I mean, consider, for instance, how, you know, most matter-of-factly, the Bible refers to that, Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. Now, isn't that fascinating? 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, on the first day of every week, Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Or look at Revelation 1 verse 10. John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And that's fascinating. That is, by the time we get to the last book of the Bible, the first day of the week is now being called the Lord's day. And why shouldn't it be? I mean, for this is the day that death was conquered and when Jesus proved himself to be alive. And that gets us back to the matter of Jesus and the Samaritan woman who were conversing at the well. You know, it's not about where you worship, not anymore. That's not in the era that's now arriving. The followers of Jesus are going to gather on the first day of the week, no longer necessarily following the Jewish traditions or the Samaritan traditions or any others. They're going to gather, I mean, some in ornate buildings and others in caves and some in homes and some in whatever room can hold a gathering. The holy place will no longer be in a locality. The holy place is now wherever people gather to celebrate the risen Jesus, the one who's alive among us. Now, number two, the second event of the new era. This is now the era in which all who gather in Jesus' name are promised that their standing with the Father is no longer a mystery. You know, the community of Jesus is the community that has objective certitude that we now have peace with God. Now, we begin by noting that wherever that place was where they met, John tells us that they were meeting in a room with locked doors for fear of the same Jewish religious leaders that had put Jesus to death. The disciples are now quite conscious that the authorities might decide to clean up the Jesus problem by also arresting all of his disciples. And so they rightfully have every reason to be worried. And John then says, Jesus came and stood among them. And as to how he got there, John simply doesn't say. I know it's often said that now, you know, with his raised body, he's able to pass through a locked door. And my response is, well, the text never says that. Well, it might be, you know, but we have to wait until glory to ask him how it is that he did that. I mean, we might just as easily ask him, how was it possible for you to give sight to the blind or to instantly heal the legs of cripples? 
You know, Jesus, how were you able to walk on water without sinking down? And for that matter, how were you able to rise from the dead? How did you roll the stone from the tomb? How did you enter into a room that was locked? Indeed, how does the God-man do any of these things? But as the disciples were discussing that Sunday's earth-shattering events, there stands Jesus suddenly among them. And John simply says he showed them his hands and his side. And Luke, who has a longer and more detailed account of this, says that, you know, the initial reaction of the disciples, well, they're startled, they're frightened. Some think they're seeing an apparition or a spirit. Jesus invites them then to come and touch him and to see. And even when he did that, they weren't fully convinced yet. So he had something to eat in front of them all. See, that's the moment that the conversation of what are we going to make about these resurrection stories of Jesus, that's where it goes from theory to a practical, realized reality. Jesus is among them. And as fascinating as all of that is, would you notice that John tells us what happened first? Suddenly he's among them. And what are his first words? Peace be with you. Listen, that's so important because from then on, that's how many believers around the world will greet one another. Peace. Peace with God, peace among the followers of Jesus, peace as the end of fear and the end of hostility. See, we have to imagine what the words of peace must have meant to the disciples. Just a short time earlier, they had seen Jesus arrested, then the horrors of the cross, but now here he stands having conquered death and also the worst that human beings and the powers of hell can offer against him. He's triumphed over all of it. And so what's left now? Peace. I know we don't like to talk about it, but, you know, the world's full of hopes that have been cruelly dashed. You know, I know we love to hear the stories of people who have prevailed against all odds. You know, the Davids who stood against Goliath. And to be truthful, we as a human race living on this side of the fall should revel in those stories. Well, that's because those stories are the exception. In truth, all human stories, even the ones that don't end in disappointment, they all end in death. People eventually die, whether of disease or war, the result of evil done against them, or simply by virtue that their bodies grow old. That's the end of every human story. But once the risen Jesus stands among us, that no longer is the end of every human story because death has been overthrown, hopelessness has been defeated, the curse of sin has been removed, and what's to be said now? Peace. The world will never be the same. This month on Back to the Bible Canada, we express gratitude to our monthly partners and earnestly celebrate all those who privilege this ministry with their gracious support every month. Your consistent gift ensures Bible teaching and engagement resources continue to be offered through a wide variety of mediums across Canada and around the globe. We invite you to join our 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program. And in so doing, You'll not only help to sustain and grow this ministry, but in appreciation each year, you'll receive our annual scripture calendar, a copy of an annual CD series, and an exclusive 15% discount on all of our Bible teaching and engagement resources. For more information on becoming an 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner or to join, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to Philippian Christians? 
They are to be anxious for nothing. They're to pray about everything. And then Philippians 4 verse 7, he adds, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And why not? Once the resurrection is accomplished, what can possibly threaten us again? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? No, no, we are now conquerors because our Lord, with whom we are now bound, has conquered death itself. That is, be at peace, says Jesus, I'm here. I was always the one I claimed to be, the one who came to seek and save the lost, the one who gave sight to the blind, the one who commanded nature, the one before whom the demons fled, and now I prove that I have the power of life and death. Peace be with you. Indeed, after he shows them his hands that still have the marks of the nails and the side which has been pierced, after they touch him and after he eats in their presence, and so he demonstrates that it is he that this is the Jesus they have known. It isn't simply a spirit. And after he's satisfied their minds, he says a second time, peace be with you. The troubled heart is now stilled. See, the third reason this is a dawn of a new era is that we never have to doubt the presence of God's power with all who believe. You know, in Romans chapter 8, Paul would say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah, now that is true. But how are we going to know whether or not God is for us? Let me go beyond the early part of verse 21. I'll return to that later. But notice here that our passage says, he breathed on them and then he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now at the outset, I need to admit that to many, that's a very troubling verse because some critics of the Bible argue that the Bible presents us, you know, with two contradictory accounts of Pentecost or of the receiving of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we have one here in the Gospel of John and then we have a very different account in Acts chapter 2. Now, there are others who argue that what we have in John and what we have in Acts are two different gifts of the Holy Spirit, one for redemption and one for the receiving of power. But that solution is also not possible, for if you look at the text closely, the words receive the Holy Spirit are said right alongside of Jesus saying that he's sending them into the world. I hope you see that. Yeah, they receive the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is talking about also receiving the power to preach the gospel to the world. And so how should we understand, I mean, what's going on here? So let me suggest a very simple solution. In the actual Greek text, it doesn't say that he breathed on them as if he now was imparting on them the Holy Spirit. Instead, what the text actually says is he breathed And after he breathed, he said, receive the Spirit. That is, he didn't breathe on them. Rather, he made the sound of breath. And then he said, receive the Spirit. Now, since that's what the text literally says, what can it mean? Well, notice that just before he said, receive the Spirit, he says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. But then later we learn that he tells them, no, no, don't go now. You're going to have to wait until the Spirit comes to you in Jerusalem. So from all that data, it should now be clear what's going on. Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, now that I'm alive and raised from the dead, you're going to be receiving the Holy Spirit, and he will come like a breath or like a wind. That is, Jesus is telling him it's, it's, it's going to happen in a very short period from now. Having said that, we can see that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the assurance that all who believe in Jesus will receive the Holy Spirit. He will dwell in us. He will make Christ ever so real to us. 
He will transform our hearts so that we have the power to live the life of Christ, but he will also empower us to bring the saving message of Jesus, not just to our communities, but also to the whole world. And Jesus is saying, look, now that I'm raised from the dead and I've conquered death, you will receive the Holy Spirit. He will live within each believer. Well, very good. That's the new era. It's the era of worship opened up to anyone who would believe, regardless of background or culture. It's also the era of peace with God, and it's the era of the Holy Spirit. And number four, it is the era of worldwide mission, and it's key. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. You know, some Christians have struggled over those words. I mean, how are we sent from Jesus in the same way as Jesus was sent from the Father? You know, and interestingly enough, various believers have understood those words differently. And there are those who say that our ministry, therefore, has to parallel Jesus' ministry. So they argue that, you know, this very verse, verse 21, they argue that since Jesus healed the sick and broke bread and fed the hungry and preached the gospel to the poor, so, you know, if we're being sent out as Jesus was sent, then we too must have a full gospel. And, you know, by a full gospel, we mean that we can't restrict missions or church planting simply to evangelism, but we also have to deal with the real needs of others in the same way that Jesus dealt with them. Now, I don't think I want to argue against that. Yeah, we need to pray over the sick. We need to await on God to answer our prayers. Yeah, the church must care about everything about people's needs, from education to universal literacy to building of hospitals, anything that will alleviate the sufferings of people created in the image of God. No one should dispute that. And indeed, that is what missions have been doing. But this is so important. Go down to verse 23. If you forgive anyone their sins, full stop. See, forgiveness of sins is not one more item that missions should address. That's the central issue. Now, furthermore, if you go to Matthew 28, we learn that Jesus sent his apostles into the world, and as he sent them, he told them they were to make disciples and baptize people into Jesus and teach them to observe everything he had commanded them. And this is crucial. Any study of the book of John, in which we examine the context of the book, we also find that Jesus over and over again emphasizes a theme about his own mission. See John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Or look at John 8, 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do, says Jesus, the things that are pleasing to him. And here's the point I'm trying to make, that Jesus did not go into the world pursuing his own agenda, or for that matter, doing those things that he thought would be ideal or best. Rather, he submitted himself fully to the will of the Father. And that, in the light of the resurrection, is Jesus' call to his followers. Missions, if it's the kind of missions that Christ endorses, is missions that is fully obedient to the commands of the Father. Look, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, that's the Father's agenda. And all should look to the Son and believe in the Son and have eternal life in the Son. See, the Father sent the Son that way into the world so that we would be clear that the Son's mission is to seek and to save those who are lost in their sins. So here's what I'm saying. 
any missions that neglects this call to seek the lost and offer them salvation isn't obedient to John 20, verse 21. If we are to be sent out by Christ as Christ was sent by the Father, then the salvation of the lost will be our central agenda. Now, with that, we come to the fifth mark of a new era. Look again at verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And it's important to note here that this command is given in the passive voice, and that means that it's not the church that decides who's forgiven and who's not. The church preaches the gospel, offering it freely to all who will believe and be forgiven. The only gospel we offer is a gospel through faith in Jesus. To all who believe, the church announces forgiveness. To all who will not believe, the church announces no forgiveness can be found apart from the one true Savior. And that's the new era. This new era is an era in which God has demonstrated that he honors the sacrifice of Jesus, and he showed us this to be true by raising him from the dead and offering forgiveness and reconciliation and new life to all who come to him. See, Jesus stands, in that sense, not just with the Twelve on that Sunday, but among the entire human race, demonstrating he's alive. He says the words, peace be with you. He offers peace to a troubled world where sin and sadness and despair and trouble and pain and eventually death overtake us all. And having defeated death, he comes and announces peace. And therefore, for those of us who hear of the resurrection of Jesus, the only question left is, Shall we accept his offer of peace? For it comes from the one who alone can offer it. Thanks so much, John. You know, I think we can believe and even be awestruck by the resurrection. But do we give it enough significance as believers? Well, I I think, you know, I've made the point that, I mean, we worship on the first day of the week. And we do so because this is Resurrection Day, and and perhaps we need to do more in our worship services by reminding ourselves that we are the people of the resurrection. Uh, So I think uh, that can be said, and again, uh, constantly bring us back uh, to hope. But let me also say on this uh, marvelous Good Friday that it is important for us to remember that, you know, Jesus was crucified for us and that our sins are hid in him. And now the life that we live is lived by faith in Jesus. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, Easter, according to the Gospel of John, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Hi, it's Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. You know, we believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know that there are times when you may miss the radio program, so we want to remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series, both audio and video with Dr. John but also take the opportunity to learn how to subscribe for our ministry podcasts, the YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our desire is to serve you so that the Bible teaching you can trust is as widely available to as many people 
in as many ways as possible. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.